Life Audio. Today I'm going to be meditating on the concept of entering God's rest. So we know that salvation, or sozo is the word in Greek, is by grace through faith. It's a gift, it's not a work. So Ephesians says that um, in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Let me find it. Just a minute. That says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And all of the promises of God are included in that word, in that the word sozo appears 110 times in the New Testament. So we receive all of them, all of God's promises, the same way. We enter his rest by receiving grace through faith. And so we are also to live in his power. So Romans um, 5 verse 17 says this so says for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ and then Romans is big on this concept Romans 8 uh, verse 37 says yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're conquerors because of him, we're in him. And 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 that says, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And First John Four verse nine also says, "In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him, and not by our own strength." So, uh, and that was my own words after that. So, the and not by our, by our own strength. Um, so, what I'm trying to get at here is there's this Christianese concept of doing things in His strength, but what does that actually mean? What does that look like? How do we actually do it? So. Backing up a little bit to the concept of rest. So the Old Testament is full of types of entering God's rest. So one of them, of course, is the obvious, the Israelites going from the wilderness into the promised land. So there's, it wasn't pure receiving. Like there was something they had to do. God's grace provided it, but the first generation of the Hebrews that came out of the wilderness couldn't actually receive because they didn't mix what God said with faith. So Hebrews 4 verse 2 says this, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So that is their act. So faith without works is dead. Their act is to believe what the word says. And um, Psalm, uh, in Hebrews he quotes this, uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes this, but uh, Psalm 95 um, let me find that. Psalm 95, 7 to 11 um, is God lamenting um, the fact that the Hebrews would not enter his rest because they only knew his works but not his ways, which led to an evil heart of unbelief. So here he says, um, Psalm 95, verse 7, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw me, Uh, though they saw my work for 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest 
Um, and Hebrews comments on this. Um, Hebrews 3, backing up a little bit on that one. Hebrews 3 verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then skipping down to verse 19. It says that we see that they could not enter the promised land, that is, because of unbelief. And Hebrews 3.15 had specifically said that this was because of hardened hearts. It said, um, so while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Um, So knowing his ways is the key to entering his rest, not just his works, but his ways, knowing God personally and intimately. So an example of one of the only two Israelites in that generation who did know God's ways and not just his actions was Caleb. So it was Caleb and Joshua were the only two that actually got to go in. And the story of Caleb is just, I just love Caleb. He's got such a great spirit. Um, Joshua 14, um, 7, Uh, Verse 7 through 15. So this is Caleb speaking. I was 40 years old when Moses, the the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as as it was in my heart. Um, nevertheless, when, and what it was, what the, the word that he brought back was to say, we are well able to do this. I don't care if there's giants in the land. God said we could and we could. And then he says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these forty-five years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, eighty-five years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now now is my strength for war both going and com- for, both for going out and for coming in um, and now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified it may be that the Lord will be with me and that I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said and Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh as an inheritance Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel and the name of Hebron formerly was Kirath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. So in other words, this was like the the best of the best of those warriors. And Caleb says, I can take him because he knew God's ways. He had entered God's rest, even though that meant he still had to fight, but he fought from a position of victory. He believed that he already had it. So they still had that battle, but they went in with that perspective. And Hebrews, again, going back to that, um, Hebrews 4, 8 to 10 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Okay, so that is alluding to the Sabbath. So Hebrews 4 4 is also talking about that. So Hebrews 4 4 says, For he has spoken of, in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So that was quoting Genesis 2 2. And then later, once God finally gave the law to the people of Israel, that the, the Sabbath made not just the Ten Commandments, it made the fourth of the Ten Commandments, right after no gods before him, no idols, and not taking his name in vain. So that suggests, and then the other six are all about how we deal with people. So there's four of them that pertain to God and how we interact with God, and six that pertain to how we deal with other people. And this one made number four. So this is the rest is a big key. Um, So let me read that actually. Um, Exodus 20. 
verse 11 um, says, um, okay, actually it's verse 8. I don't know why I said verse 11. Um, it goes through verse 11. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay, so, and there's blessing specifically listed with keeping the Sabbath. Um, so this was, and we're still talking Old Testament here. This is Isaiah 58, um, 13 and 14. So if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my high holy day, on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, so um, of course, the Sabbath was always a type. It was never about works. And that's the reason why Jesus got in so much trouble with the Pharisees or the Pharisees got mad at him and he, you know, retaliated uh, because they were misinterpreting the law. They were, they were interpreting the letter and not the spirit of it. So Matthew 12, Jesus talks about this and has that confrontation. Matthew 12, verse 1. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain uh, to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read that the law, uh, in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you, that at this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Um, and now when he had departed from there, still a different story, but still about the Sabbath. When he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than of a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him. How they might destroy him. Okay, so Jesus was trying to get them to see this isn't about the letter of the law. What matters is this concept of rest. So it's interesting that the number seven recurs so much throughout Scripture, and um, Chuck Missler calls it the heptatic structure of the Jewish calendar. Heptatic meaning seven. So there's weeks of days, and then the Shabbat or Sabbath is the day of rest. Then there's the week of weeks, and then Shabbat is this the seventh of the uh, the seventh week in in a row. Then there's the week of months. That's the religious year. There's seven months. The week of years, the sabbatical year, or the Shemitah year when the land was supposed to rest and then seven weeks of years plus one was the jubilee that was when the slaves or the captives were supposed to go free so i'm just speculating here but i wonder if it's possible that part of the reason at least that god used that heptatic calendar the structure of sevens appearing everywhere is also because he was trying to emphasize this concept of rest because it is so critical to receiving everything about who he is so again, backing up and like taking that concept, we can't achieve righteousness through our own works. The harder we try, the worse we get. So Paul talks about that um, in Romans 7. Um, 
beginning in verse 15. So for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. In me. So that concept, that is what Paul is describing as the old man pre-Holy Spirit. That's the circumstance of somebody who is trying to achieve righteousness through their own works. And that's where the Pharisees were. That was meant, the whole point of that was meant to drive us to giving up. That's what, what he says in Romans 7 verse 22. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law working in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to, this, to the law of sin, which is in my members. O O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then what we're supposed to do on the other hand, once we've gotten to that place of surrender, is to receive the righteousness and the life from the Holy Spirit, who literally imbues our bodies with it. So Romans 8, this is where he goes into that. Romans 8, 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the, to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So literally we we are hooked up to that power source. So this isn't just, it is about righteousness, but it's not just about righteousness or just about receiving God's promises, which we also have. So 2 Corinthians one twenty, on that subject says, um, actually I'm going to, uh, wait, yeah. For all the promises of God are in, in him are yes, in, in Christ that is, in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. So it is through Christ that we receive all of the promises of scripture. But this is also where that concept of doing things in his strength comes from. It's, it comes from the fact that we are already in him. So it comes from this concept of our identity in Christ. That is what gives us the strength and the energy and the stamina and the courage and all of those things to do everything that he has called us to do. So just in the interest of not being here forever, I'm going to read through these quickly and then just make the, the, the verse or quote the verse that's associated with it. So we reign in life through through Christ, Romans 5.17. We were raised in him to bear fruit to God, Romans 7.4, and that includes love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Galatians 5.22. But we can't bear all of those fruits of the Spirit if we're burned out. So 
contentions, backing up in Galatians to 5.20, contentions, outbursts of wrath, those are fruits of the flesh, which are consistent with burnout. So if the fruit of what you're experiencing or you're displaying is negative, what that means is we're living from our own resources from the flesh, not from his resources from the spirit, which is what Paul went into in Romans 8, at the beginning of Romans 8 there. We're full of goodness, and we are complete in knowledge. That's Romans fifteen fourteen. We are enriched in every way. First Corinthians one five. We have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians two sixteen. All things are ours. First Corinthians three twenty one. His power is in us. Ephesians one nineteen. Um, and then we are competent and can be confident. Second Corinthians three four to six. We can serve others from God's strength. Second Corinthians thirteen four. We have every blessing in the spirit realm. Ephesians one three. God created good works for us to do, which we do in Christ. Ephesians two ten. We have grace and peace in abundance. Second Peter one two. We have power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. We have everything we need for life and godliness so that we can participate in the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.3-4. So um, a couple of examples of what this actually looks for looks like. So um, 1 Corinthians 15.10, this is Paul talking about how he labored from God's grace. So he was tapping into that, and he wasn't he wasn't using his own resources. It said, "By um, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle." And this is verse nine, um, because I persecuted the, the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was which was with me. So, and then Jesus being on the boat in the middle of that storm. I feel like that's probably the perfect example of this absolute peace and rest. So he's doing exactly what the father has called him to do. He it says that he's he did nothing except what he saw his father doing. So he was always living in that place of rest, in that secret place that Psalm 91 talks about. That, um, and this is what it actually looks like when you're in the midst of a storm, you sleep. So uh, Matthew 8 23 when he got into the boat his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves but he was asleep then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying lord save us we are perishing but he said to them why are you fearful O you of little faith because he already said i'm go we're going to go to the other side he knew where his story was going to end and it was going to be at a cross he wasn't going to drown in the middle of the sea of galilee so he didn't have to worry about it but for their sake he this that was my interpretation um and then back to the actual Bible. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? And uh, the other two versions of that story are Mark 4, 35-41, and Luke eight twenty two 22-25. So ultimately, going back to this concept, okay, so what do we actually do? Hebrews, again, um, going back to Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 4. Um, says, for he has spoken in a certain place um, of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So it's that place, and then verse 11 also says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So that sounds kind of like a contradiction, right? Be diligent to enter rest. But the concept there is that we enter by believing. So that's that's our act. That's our diligence there. and again, there's that concept of faith without works is dead. So that was James is the book that really talks about that mostly. Um, James 2, 
um, 17 and 18. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So, and he, all of James's examples, though, of works are examples of somebody trusting in what God said and then having actions that correspond to that faith because what we believe is going to be obvious based on how we act and one of the examples here was Rahab who believed that God really was going to give the promised land to the Israelites and so she hid the spies even though her king could have theoretically had her had her killed for treason for that but she so believed that she decided to side with God over that and that work again is believing so and then also back to Hebrews again um, but it'll be Hebrews 12 this time. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. So therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So um, the what helped Jesus to get through that trial according to this verse was looking at the joy that was set before him which was us and we're told that the way that we run our race and we we throw aside all of the weights that might otherwise entangle us and preventing us from finishing the race and getting where we're supposed to is by fixing our eyes on the joy set before us which is Jesus keeping our eyes fixed is how we manage to do that and how we manage the race with endurance because if we don't have our eyes on Jesus if we're not tapped into that power source tapped into that vine we're going to collapse so we're told that we give him we're supposed to give him all of those burdens that would otherwise that would otherwise hinder us so this is um first peter um five seven says that um, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. So he wants you to give those things to him and let him deal with it. And you keep your eyes fixed and he's going to take care of all of those other things. And then Jesus also said that when we're weary, we should come to him and he will be the one to give us rest. And that is Matthew 11, um, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Jews, when they went into the promised land, they still had to fight the giants. We have the sword of God's word as our weapon. So, and that again is uh, also in that same chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 4. 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that is what we use. We use that weapon in order to resist the devil and to demand what's ours. But we do that in such a way that we remember that we're not the one defeating the devil. The devil's defeated already. Jesus did that. So Colossians... uh, so Colossians 2.15, let me find that. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them in it. And uh, Hebrews 2.14 says... 
Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So that is what we need to remember when we are fighting the devil, that we're fighting him from a place of victory in exactly the same way that God expected those that first generation of Hebrews to go in and conquer the promised land because it was already conquered. God did it. And when, you know, 40 years later, when Joshua sent in the other spies and Rahab said, our hearts have been melting with fear of you because God had already defeated them. He just needed the people to go in and claim what was theirs. That was what they were supposed to do, but they were doing it. They were supposed to do it. And they ultimately did do it from that place of victory. There was a piece, there was something for them to do, but there was confidence. And that's exactly how Caleb ended up taking that. So, um, This also makes me think of the parable of the persistent widow. This is Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God or regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God or regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So that word weary there, the word in Greek there is hypopiazo, which is hit me under the eye or attack me. So this judge who has all the power is afraid of this tiny little widow. That doesn't make sense unless what he's afraid of is the God behind her who's going to enforce what she's demanding. So then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night, though he bear long with him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? So a lot of people read this parable and think that the unjust judge is a type of God. No, it's a contrast. If even this unjust judge will do this, he's a type of the devil. He's the one who's trying to prevent you from getting what God wants you to have. And this widow is what we are supposed to imitate to say, nope, you've got to give it over because God said so. And God is the one who's going to enforce what we demand that is already paid for. Jesus is the one who triumphed over Satan. We don't have to, we fight, but we fight from a place of victory. And that is where that rest. Come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. And that's where we're supposed to live because we know his character, because we know he loves us, and because we know that he has only good things for us. He's a good, good father. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So I hope that was helpful to you. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Are you looking for a holistically-minded healthcare practitioner who truly treats root cause rather than symptom suppression? 
Unfortunately, even in the alternative healing professions, this isn't a given. That's why I've created wholehealthdoctor.com, a resource to help connect patients to healthcare practitioners in their area who share a root cause philosophy. Alternatively, most of the practitioners listed also practice telehealth. So if there isn't anyone local to you, you can still find a great practitioner to help you regain optimal health. Go to wholehealthdoctor.com. That's whole healthdr.com, type in your location or adjust the specialty that you're looking for and find the practitioner who's right for you. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.